morning. Uh, before we open God's word, just want to share a few announcements. Uh, tonight at 6 p.m. Uh, at Coastal Yorktown, we have the Christmas Project, and we recognize that one of the greatest ways to celebrate the Christmas season is in song with great music. And so the Christmas Project is a night of enjoying Christmas music from the Trans-Siberian Orchestra. Beginning January 11th is spiritual formation classes. Uh, spiritual formation offers a variety of classes covering a wide range of topics. And so if you would like to find out more information about that, you can pick up a grow booklet or visit gocoastal.org slash grow. Last but not least, we have our Christmas offering. Uh, please pray about how you can play a part in developing authentic followers of Jesus Christ through funding the Coastal Endowment or the Gloucester Campus uh, Building Fund. We are one church in several locations and God has used our campusing to open people's eyes to the truth of the gospel all throughout the Hampton Roads. And so if you're interested in playing a part in that, uh, for more information, you can go to gocoastal.org slash offering. So these are your announcements. John chapter 3, verse 16. If you can turn with me there, John chapter 3, verse 16. I'm going to try to keep this very brief. John three sixteen. I'm going to go ahead and read it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. In my uh, few years of ministry, I've learned that the Bible is a very broad or even multidimensional in its approach. I believe that the Bible can be one of the most complex and yet simple books in existence. It's a book uh, that's so deep that someone could dive in head first and never reach the bottom and yet shallow enough for a little child to stand in with confidence. Uh, when I think of the scriptures, I think of like a snack, how tasty it can be. You take one verse and after you throw it in and take a bite, you want more to come. But then there are some verses that are so rich and so weighty and so heavy that just one bite will fill you to the brim. John 3.16 is a passage with so much weight. It's so rich, yet it's covered in simplicity. It's one of the most famous scriptures in the Bible and said to be one of the most quoted scriptures in the Bible. It's easily quoted, um, and it's so quoted that we find it on bumper stickers and license plates and billboards and buildings, we find it as decorations in homes, and we find it tattooed on someone somewhere. The scripture is easily stated and yet truly hard to fathom. It's a scripture that's easily memorized and quoted by children, yet heavily researched by scholars. It's one of the most loved and hated scriptures in the Bible. Why? Why is this scripture so popular? What makes this scripture stand out? And how can John 3.16 bring so much tension? 
In this text, John is recording a private conversation between Jesus and a religious leader. Jesus structures the words of John 3.16 in a way that would cause you to either love this verse or hate it. Which brings me to my first point. My first point for this morning, for God. For God. The first word of this passage is God. It's not the world, it's not mankind, it's God. And then after the word God, you see the word love. After that, you see the world and humankind. Notice in this text that when you read it, God comes first and then it ends with eternity. This would imply that before there was anything in existence, there was God because God is eternal. He is the creator and the generator of all things. He is the creator of time and space. From the mouth of God came day and night and darkness and light. From the mouth of God came the beasts of the field and the birds of the air and the fish of the sea. He spoke and the sun began to light up the earth and the surrounding planets from millions of miles away. When he spoke, the moon accompanied by a multitude of stars shined through the dark purples and the dark blues of the night sky. He is the creator of all things. He is a being who can see. He is a being who can feel. He is a being who can be everywhere at the same time. He can see where the galaxies start and where they end. He can see through the darkness of the ocean's deepest trench. He's so omnipresent that he can be God of the mountain and yet God of the valley of the shadow of death. He can wipe our tears while he rejoices with others. He can comfort us while he celebrates with others. He is the supreme ruler of everything. And so that means no matter how much we accomplish, no matter how much we discover, no matter how much knowledge or wisdom we believe we've gained, it will never compare to that of God. God is so wise to the point where our minds can't fathom and comprehend his will. His wisdom and power is so much higher than ours that sometimes it doesn't make sense to the human mind. It doesn't make sense how God could take a body of water and stand it up like walls, and open it up wide enough for over a million Hebrew slaves to walk through on dry land. It doesn't make sense how God could use one man to single-handedly slaughter a thousand armed Philistine men with nothing but a donkey's jawbone. It doesn't make sense, but yet he's God. And because of that, it means that all creation is subject to submit to his will. He is God. John 3.16 starts with God because God comes first. Before there was anything, there was God. My next point, God loves. God loves. Loves John 3.16, again it says, for God so loved. First John chapter 4, verse 8. Anyone who does not love God does not, or anyone that does not love does not know God because God is love. God is someone who not only possesses love because love is who he is. You know, there's a difference between having and being. You know, I have a car that I can, I can trade or I can sell or I can replace. I have a house that can be sold. I have clothes that I can change out of. 
But I can't change my personality because that's who I am. I can't change my nationality because that is who I am. God is love. And because God is love, he has every right to define what love is. One thing that we have to constantly remember is that when it comes to age, the world is actually a lot younger than love. Love has been in existence before the foundations of the world were laid. It existed before humanity took its first breath. It existed before the first hug and the first kiss, before there was an altar for a groom to await his bride to walk down the aisle. Love existed. Love existed before the world was formed and will exist after the world passes away because love is God and God is love. His love is displayed by his mercy and his grace, his peace and his compassion. We serve a God of love. We serve a God who loves. We serve a God who is love. For God so loved. My next point, God loves you. God loves you. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world. The world in this passage represents mankind. You know, we live in a very dark, sinful world. The world we live in, we can experience hurt and pain and we we face challenges and hardship. In this world, we face humiliation and degradation, and we face rejection and abandonment. There are children that are left on the streets hungry. There are families trying to figure out how to make ends meet. Children are terrified to go to school because they may be humiliated and bullied by people that never took the chance to get to know them. There are people who are losing loved ones every second of the day by senseless shootings. We live in a world that displays and demonstrates and shares everything except love. We live in a world where people feel abandoned and alone and unloved. But John says that Jesus said, God loves you. John wants us to know that even in a dark world, Jesus says, God loves you. Even when we face hard times, Jesus said, God loves you. For God so loved the world. Not only does God love the world, but according to this passage, God loves the world so. He loves the world so. For God so loved the world. He so Love the world. In this text, the word so is a word that emphasizes the magnitude of God's love. The word so, it, it reveals uh, the lack of adjectives uh, that can really emphasize and describe God's love. You know, we use the word so pretty often. And when we use the word so, we're trying to describe an experience that's indescribable. When we use the word so, we're trying to articulate something that we can't put into words. We use the word so a lot. Anytime that we get hungry and our stomach rumbles like a thunderstorm, we get hungry to the point where we can only taste our thoughts. We say, I am so hungry. You don't just say I'm hungry. We say I'm so hungry because there's no word that can truly describe how hungry 
we are. Anytime we get so angry that our complexion begins to change and veins begin to come out of random places, you know, you don't really know how many veins the body have until you make somebody angry. You begin to see veins come out of random places that they shouldn't bulge out of regularly. And when somebody gets that angry, they don't just say, I'm mad or I'm frustrated or I'm angry. They say, I'm so angry because there's no word that can truly describe how angry that person is. The word so reveals that there are a lack of adjectives that can truly emphasize the magnitude of one's experience. Jesus says in John 3, 16, that there are no adjectives that can truly emphasize God's love for mankind. For God so loved the world. You know, there are many things about God I just can never explain. There are many things about God I don't have an answer for. But one thing that I know for sure is that God loves you. God loves you and his love outweighs any rejection that you may face. His love outweighs any abandonment or pain or hurt that you may have experienced. God's love, his love is in ways that our mind cannot grasp. The Bible says in John 3.16 that God loves you so much. For God so loved the world. This is a powerful statement all in itself. But Jesus knew that it doesn't stop there. My next point, God gave. God gave. For God so loved the world that he gave. This portion of the text is probably one of the most challenging, and it reveals the challenges of love. You know, we often take the word love and we use it and correlate it with romance or certain songs that massage our itchy ears and minds, releasing our emotions to run wild and free. However, according to John 3.16, love is more than what is said. Love is more than just a warm, fuzzy feeling. You know, it feels good when someone tells you they'll love you always until the rainbow burns the stars out in the sky or until the ocean severs every mountain high. Love is more than just a ribbon in the sky for our love. It's more than just a call to say I love you from the bottom of my heart. Love is a word of action. Jesus says in John 3.16 that God loved us so much that he took action. He gave. Giving can be uncomfortable because it causes us to put others above ourselves. Philippians chapter 2 verses 3 and 4, Paul says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only look to his own interests, but also the interests of others. This passage of Philippians is a letter written by Paul to the church that he planted in the Roman colony of Philippi. And after planting this church in Philippi, Paul went elsewhere to serve God. Later on, while he was serving God elsewhere, he was thrown in prison. And when word got back to the church of Philippi of Paul's imprisonment, they sent one of their leaders, Epaphroditus, on an 800-plus-mile journey to give Paul a care package of food and financial gifts and an update on the church's growth. 
come to find out that the journey was so taxing on Epaphroditus' body that it almost took him out. Epaphroditus almost died while trying to get to Paul. But even, even while he was suffering, even through the aches and the pains, and even while he was facing death, he made it his mission to serve someone else. And I believe, and it may not be written in the text, but I, I believe that Epaphroditus all throughout his mind as he was going, I believe that he made up in his mind that even if I die, I will die a servant. If I die, I will die selfless. If I die, I will die putting someone else above myself. That is a true demonstration of love. And this tells us that love is not always convenient. Love is not always convenient. Love is presented in many ways that may not always feel pleasant. Sometimes love is displayed in a form of confrontation. Matthew chapter 18, it tells us to confront the person who has offended us. Love comes also in the form of discipline. When you look at Hebrews chapter 12, verses 6 and 7, the writer says, For the Lord disciplines the ones he loves, and he chastises every son whom he's received. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? God loved us so much that he didn't stop at simply saying, I love you. He took action. God may take action in several ways in our lives. He may take action by severing relationships that hinder your walk with him. He may snatch you out of crowds that may even have made you feel appreciated. God may allow you to, you, to lose the access of certain luxuries that brought pleasure to the body. And as uncomfortable and as unpleasant as this can be, God is doing it for our own good. We must remember that God is still a shepherd, and we are sheep that tend to go astray often. You know, when a sheep goes astray too many times, the shepherd uses his staff and his rod to grab the sheep and yank him back in the fold. And sometimes that doesn't always feel good because it seems as if God might hold us back. Every time we take a step forward, it only leads to two steps back. It seems as if God is holding us back from reaching our goals and our dreams. But one thing we have to remember is that because God is a shepherd, he stands taller than the sheep. And so while we are wandering, thinking that we are mature enough to go out in places that seem to be greener pastures, God stands tall seeing the predators that are hiding behind the, sheep, the, the bushes. He sees the wolves that are dressed in sheep's clothing, ready to devour anything that crosses its path. Sometimes the love of God is not always displayed by the doors that are open, but sometimes the love of God is displayed by the doors that are closed. I would encourage you every now and then to not only thank God for the doors he opened, but I would encourage you to thank God for some doors he closed. I'm, I'm glad that there are some doors God didn't just close, but God slammed them in my face and locked it and threw the key in a place where I'll never find it. I'm so glad I was upset when he did it, but when I look back, I'm glad he did because now I see that he protected me from wolves. He protected me from predators because he is a shepherd. God's love, it goes beyond words. 
It is action. God so loved the world that he took action. He gave. As we approach this holiday season, you know, people's views can be limited to materialistic things. There's nothing wrong with gifts that shimmer and shine and glisten and gleam. But when it comes to John 3.16, Jesus teaches us that love is deeper than gifts made by human hands. John wants us to know that love is deeper than gifts that can be found at stores. God loved us so much that he gave us a gift that can't be found in stores. You can't find it on the shelf. He gave us a gift that can't be duplicated or reproduced. It's a gift that can't be bought or sold. It's a gift that can't be made or created. God gave us a gift. My next point, God gave us Jesus. God gave us Jesus. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God is holy and he is righteous. He made us in his image and he made us in his likeness. But out of arrogance, we rebelled against God. Our rebellion brought sin into the world, separating us from a perfect God and putting us in the place to deserve nothing but his righteous wrath. But instead of giving us what we deserve, he gave us his son, Jesus. Jesus, God the son, Jesus, the co-creator of the universe, came to this earth, born in a stable to an imperfect, and some would even say a dysfunctional family. He didn't grow up to a life of luxury, but he woke up every morning and went to work and served as a carpenter. Throughout Jesus' life, he faced hardship. Jesus knows how it feels to have a broken heart. He knows what it means to cry and weep. He knows how it feels to lose a friend tragically. He knows how it feels to be rejected and abandoned. He knows how it feels to be harassed and called out of his name. He knows how it feels to be betrayed and let down. But yet even when Jesus faced hardship and even when Jesus faced challenges, he never sinned. I sin every day. I mess up every day. I fall short every day. I miss the mark every day. I fall into temptation somehow every day. But Jesus was tempted at all points and never sinned. He remained sinless. And because he was so sinless, he demonstrated the greatest act of love for us. John once again records the words of Jesus in his 15th chapter and 13th verse. He says, Greater love has no man than this, that someone would lay down his life for his friends. Jesus laid his innocent life down for the guilty, taking the blame and the penalty for our sin by dying on the cross. He was buried, but three days later, Jesus bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is a declaration that's powerful all in itself. And yet still, Jesus doesn't stop there. My next point, believe in him. Believe in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. Jesus died for our sins on the cross. He was buried, 
Three days later, he bodily rose from the dead, defeating sin and death. And when your faith is in Christ alone, you will no longer face the wrath of the Father. Jesus says, whoever believes in him. You know, many people look at Jesus and feel as if they have to have it all together in order to know him. Many people feel as if their upbringing or their lack of education or their finances disqualifies them from coming into the family of God. But Jesus says, whoever. You know, you may not have had significance in your family growing up. You may have grown up being called out of your name, but Jesus says, whoever. You may not have accomplished all the goals that you've set and reached every dream that you've dreamed of, but Jesus says, whoever. You may battle with depression and anxiety and drugs and alcohol, but Jesus says, whoever. You may have made mistake after mistake after mistake that seems unforgivable, but Jesus says, whoever. No matter what your background is, no matter what your culture, no matter your race, no matter what your gender, Jesus wants a relationship with you. He says, whoever. No one is excluded from hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him, believes in him. This word belief is not a word of recognition. You know, I've been in several churches where they will tell you, you know, they preach the sermon and they say, whoever wants to come and be saved, come on down to the altar. And you pray this prayer and you walk away and people say you're saved because many people put salvation, uh, they put their faith in Jesus in uh, based on the prayer you prayed as if it's some magical group of words that save you. But, but, the, but the sinner's prayer is not what brings salvation. I know some, so many people that have prayed the sinner's prayer and leave exactly the way they came. You know, I, 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 I was always told that there are people when you're not saved and you think you say because you get baptized, you go down as a dry devil and come up as a wet devil. This word says believe in him. Belief is not a word of recognition. As I said earlier, John 3.16, it starts with God because God comes first. That's what belief is. That, that's what belief is. It's a word of submission. It's a word that puts God above your desires, above your goals, above your dreams, above what you plan for your life. Does God come first in your life? Does God come first in your life? That's what belief is. It is not only acknowledging Jesus as Savior, but it is acknowledging him as Lord. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? We demonstrate our belief in Christ by how we live. First John chapter 4, 7 through 11, John says, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, 
that he sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Some of us have been hurt and some of us have been uh, harassed and some of us have experienced pain by others, whether it was long ago or recently. But the love of Jesus is not limited to those that we love and appreciate. We demonstrate our love, the love of Jesus, and we demonstrate our belief in Christ by loving those who we consider an enemy. And my question to you this morning, as we approach the holiday season, who do you need to forgive this Christmas season? Who do you need to forgive? Who do you need to show mercy to this holiday season? What in your heart holds you back from giving the pain to God? So that you can love your enemy the way God loved you. You know, Paul says in Romans 5.10 that we were once enemies of God before reconciliation through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We are called as believers in Jesus to show the same love to others that God showed us. And trust me, it is easier said than done. And that's why we need to lean strictly on the power of the Holy Spirit because it can't be done in our own strength. There are some people that have faced hardship and pain that can't be comprehended. But it's the power of the Holy Spirit that helps you get through it. It's the power of community that God uses to walk with you even through the valley of the shadow of death as we face the pain that has been, that we, that has been brought upon us. We must lean on the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit uses community to do so. He uses his word to do so. We must love one another. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him. Once again, this is a powerful declaration, but even after that, Jesus does not stop there. My closing point, and I'm done. Jesus gives eternal life. Jesus gives eternal life. This life that we're living in is temporary. James tells us that this life is like a vapor. We're here one day and we're gone the next. We all have an appointed time to leave this earth. Our physical bodies will perish, but spiritually our bodies will live on. And those whose faith is in Christ will not perish, but those who have not put their faith in Jesus Christ, will. A relationship with Jesus is the best experience a person could have. It doesn't mean that you won't face trials. It doesn't mean that you won't face tribulation because the world is crazy. This world is crazy. This world is full of chaos. We're still going to face hardship. That's what Psalm 23, 4, it doesn't say if we walk through the valley of the shadow of death. It says, even though, which means when you do, you will face hardship. 
but a relationship with Christ. It doesn't change the chaos. It changes our view of the chaos. It doesn't change the issues of life. It just changes our view of the issues of life. Knowing Jesus causes us to be eternally minded. And that is why, again, Psalm 23, 4, it says, Yea, though I walk through the valley. It doesn't say in the valley. It says through. And in order for you to go through, it means you have to come out sometime. No matter how long you're in the valley, you have to come out because God's word says through the valley. And so when you are eternally minded, your view of the valley changes. You know that you can't be in here forever because we have somewhere else to be. We have somewhere else to be. When you are eternally minded, it keeps you on the edge of your seat in full anticipation every single day. Knowing that Jesus not only came, but that he will come again. Jesus will come back for those whose faith are in him known as the church so that we can dwell in eternity, a place where the wicked shall cease their troubling and the weary shall be at rest. All the saints of the ages will gather and sit at his feet and be blessed. This is what Christians have to look forward to. This holiday season, this holiday season, I, I encourage you, I challenge you to look forward to the coming of Christ. Don't, don't, don't revolve this holiday season around what you'll get in a box. Don't, don't revolve this holiday season on what your kids can play with, on what you can use in the kitchen, what you can use in the garage. All that stuff is phenomenal. It's great. I can't wait to see what I'm getting for Christmas. I hope it's some Eagles, some type of Eagles uh, jersey or something. We're doing really well this season, but that's another subject. But, but I encourage you to be eternally minded this Christmas season. Jesus Christ is the best gift that we could have. He is the greatest gift any person could have for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but will have eternal life eternal life can only be accessed through Jesus Christ the son of God who gave his life for us when you believe in him making him the Lord of your life you will not face the wrath of the father but you will live with him in eternity. Anybody looking forward to that? Let's pray. Father, thank you. We thank you because you're good. We thank you because you're gracious. We thank you because you're merciful. But today, Lord, we thank you that you're loving. You loved us so much. There's no words that can truly capture how much you love us. You loved us so much that you gave your son. We thank you for the greatest demonstration of love through the life of Jesus. We thank you for his sinless life. We thank you for his death, his sacrifice. We thank you for his burial, his bodily resurrection. We thank you that through him we have the hope of eternal life. And that's what we pray for this morning. As we approach this holiday season, we pray that our hearts would look forward to the day that Jesus Christ comes. Our hearts would be revolved around the fact that Jesus came. 
And no matter what we face, we would remember that we're only going through the valley. Help us remember that, Lord. We're not in it. We're going through it. We thank you for what you have for us on the other side. We give you praise this morning. We give you glory. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you're doing, and what you're getting ready to do. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and sing together.